It is time for us to begin our midday program here on a Monday on KRVN. Scott Foster here with you. We got our starting lineup here with us today as Jason Jorgensen is here along with Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield as uh, things getting ready near Grand Island for Husker Harvest Days. And you say near Grand Island because it becomes a city on itself there at Husker Harvest Days, doesn't it, Susan? Oh, very much so. And uh, we see a lot of work, even though the rain has been falling on, on and off all morning. We've seen a lot of work, a lot of construction going on as uh, folks get ready, get their booths set up, and ready to welcome people tomorrow morning. It's going to be a, a big one as usual, and we've been hearing information from what folks have been bringing all morning. And uh, gosh, there's just going to be just so many things. If you're if you're a producer, you just can't miss Husker Harvest Days. Yeah, this is the place to be. And of course, come by and make sure you stop by to see us and all the different folks that we're going to be talking to over the next couple of days. Lots of great ag information. In just a few minutes, I'm going to learn more about tire pressure and some really interesting information about the tires that end up in your field. Hmm. Okay. Very good. Yeah. That's a little tease for you. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. What else we got going on today? Well, it's going to be a three-part series for us today, kicking it all off at 1219, 1245, and then wrapping it up at 117. As Clay had a great conversation with NAS. That's the National Ag Statistics Service on USDA data collection. So you've got questions that will probably be answered in this three-part series today. Hmm, good, good. I, I have lots of questions, so then will be good. Good, me too. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Have a great day. Well, I don't know, Jason. It's uh, you left uh, you left Boulder with kind of a bad feeling in your mouth after that one. Yeah, thirty thousand plus Husker fans did. <laughs> That's for sure. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, it's the uh, same movie we've seen before. It sure is. Uh, Nebraska unable to win close games on the road. Under Coach Scott Frost, uh, who would have thought 14 games into his tenure at Nebraska, he'd have a record of 5-9. and nine. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, you have to put that in the rearview mirror yep. and look forward. Uh, you need to be careful on Saturday night with Northern Illinois, even though this is a program that has a new coaching staff. They were the MAC champs a year ago. Right. Uh, they were in the game on the road against a decent Utah squad on Saturday night. So, if Nebraska's licking their wounds and feeling sorry for themselves... Uh, mm-hmm. And it won that long ago, Northern Illinois, won in Lincoln, <laughs> knocked off uh, Mike Riley and company. So. Yeah, I, but but the sun is out today. It is. It is. It, is, <laughs> it rose again on Sunday, but <laughs> you'd like to have that one. Yeah, you sure So we'll touch on that. Also, we'll talk about the Husker volleyball team. They had a battle on their hands uh, late Saturday night in San Diego. They won it. We'll hear from Coach Cook about what he learned from his team in that one. And tonight starts the Vic Fangio era with the Denver Broncos on the road against Oakland. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. How are we doing today, Bob? Stocks moving slightly higher, led by gains in banks and energy companies. Bank of America jumped 3.3% in midday trading today. And Halliburton rose 5.6%. British Airways has canceled almost all of its flights for 48 hours, affecting as many as 195,000 travelers due to a strike by pilots over pay. And UPS expects to hire about 100,000 seasonal workers and pay them more to handle the avalanche of packages shipped between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Those stories and more coming up. All right, uh, we are uh, holding here just a moment as we get ready to begin the rest of our midday here as we have some technical difficulties at at this point uh, hopefully we will 
We're going to hope for good weather. We'll be hearing from Paul Perkins coming up in just about 15 minutes as uh, he tells us more about weather. All of that coming up on Midday. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And Paul Perkins joins me in studio. And uh, a few storms this morning, some clouds still in the eastern part of the state, uh, but moving out. Right exactly. Now. Yeah, expecting to see some sunshine as the day goes on and a redevelopment of some thunderstorms by late this afternoon into the evening. And we won't see. We didn't see any severe weather this morning with those storms, but maybe with these storms that develop later today, we could see some severe activity. As you as you look right now at Husker Harvest Days over the next few days, what are we looking at? Looking at pretty favorable weather for Husker Harvest Days. We do have some small chances for thunderstorms uh, pretty much each day of the right. forecast, but it looks like that better chance of rain, which will be on Wednesday night, will occur during the night, and then we'll be cooler and drier as we head towards Thursday. Maybe some lingering chances of rain for Thursday, but otherwise, all in all, looking pretty good. And of course, luckily, the grounds are all yeah. paved, and they are very well suited for any rains that may come. And, uh, Wednesday night is the biggest chance for rain, but that will be at night, and otherwise, uh, looking pretty good. It's going to be warm for the first few days, but then on the cooler side for Thursday. Well, thank goodness for concrete. Exactly. <laughs> right now, we do have some mainly light to moderate rain into eastern Nebraska, stretching from about Wayne down to Columbus and the York area to Superior, then some lingering activity as far west as the Aurora area and also to about Franklin and Red Cloud and also Woodston, Kansas. Maybe also some showers and thunderstorms in around the Alma area down to Lenora in northern Kansas. Some scattered activity in north central Kansas from Smith Center and Mankato down to about the Russell and Ellsworth area. Those thunderstorms lifting to the north and northeast. We are seeing some clearing skies. That clearing line currently to about the O'Neill, Broken Bow area down to Lexington to about the uh, Oz, uh, make that over, Overland, Kansas area, and Hoxie, Kansas area. The points off to the east, seeing cloud cover, but we are seeing quite a bit of sunshine as you head towards west and central areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Temperatures right now mainly in the low 70s, but ahead of that rain, it is into the low 80s as you head into eastern areas of Nebraska. More thunderstorms expected to redevelop late this afternoon and evening. The storms won't be as widespread as what we saw this morning, but could be a bit stronger and possibly severe, but not a great risk of severe weather right now. Strong to severe thunderstorms are possible, though, for tomorrow through Wednesday night. With low pressure that tracks through the northern plains. The greatest threat for strong to severe storms and heavier rain across the sandhills in northern Nebraska. Best chance for widespread rain coming up on Wednesday night. Any leftover thunderstorms from Wednesday night expected to quickly exit to the northeast on Thursday morning. Today through Wednesday, the warmest days ahead of a cold front with some southerly winds. Behind that cold front Thursday and Friday, much cooler with many temperatures during the daytime in the 70s. Temperatures still slight will be back to slightly warmer than normal in the 80s over the weekend. Our long-term forecast temperatures are likely to be warmer than normal for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. this weekend through September 22nd. Nebraska and Kansas should be the warmest this weekend and early next week. Nebraska and Kansas will start out drier than normal to near normal for rainfall this weekend and early next week. From the middle of next week through the 22nd, Nebraska and Kansas likely to see slightly above normal rainfall. Key weather factors in the market include no freeze expected in the central U.S. and a still dry trend in central and northern Brazil. Low pressure crossing the northern high plains right now will drift east and reach New England by about the midweek. A second system will emerge around midweek and cross the upper Great Lakes by Friday. Both storms will produce significant rain across the northern U.S. 
Five-day totals of two to four inches expected in many locations from Montana to northern Michigan. Spotty showers will affect several other areas. A surge of warm air will result in above-normal temperatures across much of the eastern half of the U.S. The Midwest will have favorable soil moisture for filling corn and soybeans with beneficial rainfall in some remaining dry areas this week. Near to above normal temperatures will favor crop development, which remains well behind normal in many areas. On the other hand, in the northern plains, this moderate to heavy rain this week will be unfavorable for maturing crops. Both the Midwest and northern plains expect no damaging cold weather for at least the next 10 days, a benefit for delayed crops. The southern plains will see scattered rain that will offer some soil moisture benefit for winter wheat planting. In central and northern Brazil... Before soybean planting begins in the middle of this month, crop areas will remain hot and dry in the next 10 days. For those high production areas of soybeans, that will cause some delay in the start of planting. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, and it's interesting to look at um, when the most iffy, like, weeks, because it seemed, for weather, because it seems like Husker Harvest Days year in and year out. You just don't know because uh, it's just one of those weeks, but looks like we have a good one. Yeah, it should, should be pretty good this week. Uh, you know, we've had some rainouts uh, at Husker Harvest Days uh, several years ago, but it does not look like it will be the case this year. Maybe some scattered thunderstorms towards the end of the day, but all in all, looking pretty good if you're going to Husker Harvest Days. Shouldn't have to worry about any rain gear. Well, that's And good. if you do... Just go to the KRVN building, and we can, we'll can we provide you with some shelter, along with some water and the update on the markets, too. You're asking for, like, 500 people in there. So there you go. Yeah, so what, you know, but it is. You talk to a lot of people, and when they think back to Husker Harvest, they think, oh, you know, the weather, bit windy, something like that. But so we'll see. We'll, Yeah, and make sure you stop by. I'm going yes. to be there tomorrow. I'll mm-hmm. be doing the egg weather segment from Husker okay. Harvest Days about this time. You're going to be there, is that on Wednesday? Wednesday, yeah. I don't and think Brandon I'll have will any be there purpose. on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. yep. That's, uh, we'll just stand and wave. Exactly. So we, <laughs> hope to, we hope to see you there. Paul, where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. We're talking USDA data and NAS on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to bring us the critical information on this topic of conversation is USDA's NAS, or the National Agriculture Statistics Service Crop Branch Chief, Lance Honig. And Lance, thanks for joining us. Lance, the topic of this conversation stems back from that August Wazda report when farmers were blindsided and the bears took control of the market. But as you start us off here today, there is a difference between WASDE and NAS. It's not all one and the same. Well, that's right, and the WASDE report is actually uh, produced and published by the World Ag Outlook Board, and they're a portion of the Office of the Chief Economist here at USDA, and NASA is a separate agency from that, but we do work very closely together, and in fact, in many cases, the, uh, you know, the U.S. numbers that appear in the WASDE do originate uh, from NAS, but that's not always the case. With that distinction in mind, Lance, let's get started and just get an overview of the data that NAS collects, maybe some of the methodology behind it, and what reports that data goes towards. So NAS is, uh, you know, for the most part, the data collection arm for USDA, and and all the estimates that we publish at NAS are typically going to be, for the most part, survey-based. In general, it's, you know, a series of surveys that we do with farmers uh, across the U.S., and so some of the limitations that we have obviously involve, uh, you know, timing and then also burden uh, that we put on producers. So, if, for example, if you take a look at yield, uh, obviously NAS does forecast yield, but if we're talking about corn, the first survey-based yield that NAS does is in August. But if you look at a WASDE report, 
uh, those yield forecasts actually start earlier in the season. So if WASD is forecasting corn in July, NAS hasn't issued a forecast yet, then that becomes an independent process done by the World Ag Outlook Board. In fact, they're looking primarily at uh, things like historic trends, uh, weather information. But again, it's not survey-based at that point. NAS enters the equation in August. That's how our program is set up, is that we begin that survey work in August. Uh, and so NAS issues a forecast. We, we put out the crop production report at NAS. World Ag Outlook Board issues the WASDE report, but they come out at the same day, at the same time, so that when NAS does have a number, it can be adopted into that WASDE report. When we get so much monthly data out in a growing season that spans several months, why is it important to get these monthly numbers, whether it be through WASDE or the numbers that NAS releases as well? Why is that important for the farmers, for the market trade, for the big picture? Markets are most efficient if they're operating with uh, information, and of course the more up-to-date that information is, the better decisions that can be made uh, by anybody participating in the market. Things change uh, throughout the growing season. As the weather changes, uh, the outlook can change, you know, the expectations of yield can change. So providing that monthly uh, update continues to provide, you know, the latest information that's available based on those conditions. And the advantage of that coming from the USDA is that we level the playing field. You know, we're unbiased. We don't have any vested interest in what those numbers show other than being as accurate as they can possibly be. So uh, that's really the biggest advantage uh, that USDA brings to the table is not only frequent updates, but unbiased, available to everyone at the same time information. Again, we're just getting the conversation started with USDA's NAS Crops Branch Chief Lance Honig. Continuing the conversation later on today right here on the Rural Radio Network, we're going to be discussing FSA's comparison of numbers as well as the challenges posed by the 2019 growing year. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason's in here in studio as we get ready, and we know one thing we do know is at least a start time uh, for uh, the Nebraska game in Illinois. Yeah, and this know. this surprises me a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah, uh, the Huskers' Big Ten road opener in Illinois will be a seven o'clock kickoff hmm. in Champaign. Of course, that game is set for September twenty first, and this week the Huskers host Northern Illinois to wrap up non conference action at 7 o'clock as well. Well, never known as a bastion of offense, Big Ten is putting up points at a rate unmatched by any conference through the first two weeks of the season. The Big Ten team average is at 41 points per contest. Now, that's largely because Maryland and Penn State went for 79 in week one. Did you see this, though? Maryland followed that up? Fear the turtle, man. Fear the turtle. With 63 against Syracuse, Wisconsin hung 61 on Central Michigan. Indiana and Michigan State each has gone over 50 points as well. In fact, the Terps are ranked this week for the first time in six years. Their new head coach, Michael Loxley, has done a nice job with that with that program so far. Well, Denver begins a Vic Fangio era tonight as the Broncos open up on the road against the Oakland Raiders. And Fangio says slowing down Oakland rookie running back Josh Jacobs is the key. You know, it's, uh, it's vital. Uh, the back is really good. First-round pick. He's a slasher. He'll cut it back. He can ram it up in there. He's hard to tackle in the open field. So, yeah, I mean, defending the run is going to be critical. Scott is a lifelong Denver Broncos fan. I don't know. I just cannot get excited about this year with the journeyman Joe Flacco at quarterback. Uh, Fangio has to be a better better coach than 
you know, Vance Joseph right, was. Right. But uh, well, you have not you have not been a fan of Joe Flacco for quite a while this year. So uh, I, I'm with you. I, I see eight and eight, which would be an improvement. So uh, we'll yeah. see how it starts tonight. Now this is when they do the double header thing. So Denver and Oakland will not start until nine twenty our time. First game should be an interesting one with Houston at New Orleans. That one kicks off at six ten. If you missed it late on Saturday night, the Nebraska volleyball team pulled off a thrilling win in five on the road against twenty fifth ranked San Diego. They were down two to one and were trailing twenty two twenty one in the fourth set before they scored the final four points of that set and then rolled in the fifth. And head coach John Cook a little bit ago was asked what he learned about his team this weekend. Just saw how, when we got to the fifth game, how unified and together they were and how much they were playing for each other. And it was it was pretty cool to see this. Like, we're going to do this together and just how tight they pulled together. And we could play at a really high level when... When we're dialed in, you know, it was bad enough the football team lost, but had the volleyball team also gone down on Saturday, that would have been a dark day for Oscar Sports. Uh, but they came back and they won 4 0 in the year. They'll host the Emeritus Players Challenge this weekend. They'll play a businessman special at noon on Friday against High Point, and we'll have that match for everybody over on Cami Country Legends. So. There you go. That's Check for Sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. All right. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. The Nebraska State Patrol is investigating two accidents on Interstate 80 this morning in Buffalo County, east of the Odessa Interchange. According to initial information from the patrol, it occurred around 8.45 a.m. in the eastbound lanes. One collision involved a semi and a pickup. It was not known if injuries were involved. In the other accident, a vehicle rear-ended another vehicle, and both ended up in the median. Both lanes were open as of 10.30. A California man was arraigned Monday in Dawson County Court on charges related to a traffic stop for speeding that yielded 150 pounds of suspected marijuana and other controlled substances. On Friday afternoon, a trooper clocked an eastbound vehicle at 98 miles per hour in near Lexington Interchange. The trooper conducted a traffic stop and cited the driver for speeding and going through a stop sign. The driver identified as 27-year-old Michael Banks Jr. of San Bernardino, California. The trooper obtained uh, information that led to a search of the vehicle. The trooper found multiple containers of labeled marijuana bags and containers in the front passenger compartment in a backpack. The trooper then located two large duffel bags in the rear of the vehicle containing around 150 pounds of marijuana packed in vacuum-sealed bags. He was arraigned in Dawson County Court and being held on bond of $250,000, 10%. A 57-year-old man died when his vehicle was hit by a train at a crossing in southeast Nebraska's Johnson County. The Nebraska State Patrol says the man was driving south at around 1.45 uh, Sunday afternoon on the east side of Sterling when his vehicle didn't stop at the crossing and was hit by an eastbound coal train. The man's been identified as Wesley Dorn, who lived in Adams. Americans are addicted to snacks, and food experts are paying closer attention to what might mean for the health and obesity. The rise of snacking has seen packaged bars, chips, and sweets spread into every corner of life. In the late 1970s, about 40% of American adults said they didn't have any snacks during the day. By 2007, that figure was just 10%. 
To get a better handle on the implications of differing eating patterns, U.S. health officials are reviewing scientific research on how eating frequency impacts health, including weight gain and obesity. The analysis is intended to gauge the broader spectrum of possibilities, which could include fasting, grazing, and many meals. Findings could be reflected in the government updated dietary guidelines next year, though any definitive recommendations are unlikely. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. The conversation with USDA's NAS continues right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Speaking for NAS is USDA's NAS Crop Branch Chief, Lance Honig. And Lance, in our first segment, we discussed the methodology. We discussed the reasons that NAS produces monthly reports as well, the distinction between the WASDA report and NAS. Because, again, a lot of this, we have a WASDA report coming out at the end of this week. We'll also have many NAS reports coming out. So we're just getting a better handle as to what goes into that. But I think the million-dollar question in 2019 is the fact that the the 2019 growing season has not been cooperative in any such fashion. Whether we talk about the delayed plantings, then we go into a midsummer drought for much of the eastern Corn Belt as well, the regular Corn Belt. So going through this, how much has this affected NASA's data collection with this weird growing year? You get a year like this, and of course, I think it's a, the biggest challenge is really for the producers. Um, and of course, we get a lot of our information from the producers. So any uncertainty that you know, a farmer has when we uh, reach out and, and do a survey. If they've got uncertainty, that is going to provide a little bit more uncertainty to the data that we use. But really the important thing to note is that our, the way our procedures are set up, we're prepared to handle unusual situations like this. You know, we have we have situations like we've seen this year somewhere every year. We just typically don't see them so widespread and extend for such a long period of time but because they do happen at least on a smaller scale regularly we've already got the procedures built in uh, to handle the situation so from that perspective we were prepared and and able to just uh, move forward even in the difficulties that we see this year with the weather. Farmers report to FSA that's of course to and a lot of the programs that are available it's all through the Farm Service Agency in terms of sign up. With what farmers are reporting back to them obviously it takes us a while before we see those numbers but could there be a difference and why would there be a difference between what NAS may possibly be showing and what FSA may whether it implies acreage numbers or other important crop estimates. We're really talking about planted acreage here because that's what gets reported to FSA, those certified acres that represents uh, acres that are actually planted to those crops. You can equate that to the NAS planted number, but there are always going to be uh, some differences. Uh, the biggest factor is that not every producer and therefore not every acre of land ever gets certified at FSA. So even at the end of the day when that data is final, there's always going to be uh, a difference because the NAS estimate is going to account for every acre that's planted to that crop, whether it's reported to FSA or not. But in the short term, you've got some other differences to account for, and that is the fact that, it, like you said, it does take time to not only get the data processed, but quite frankly, to get everyone in the door to actually do the certification in the FSA offices. Um, even though the deadline 
uh, to report is obviously in you know the middle of July and even extended a little bit this year. Uh, it not everyone is able to get an appointment that quickly. So reporting is actually today still going on in early September, although in smaller cases. Uh, data still being processed, and if you look at the data that FSA has posted on their website, you've even seen that already this year with two data posts happening, uh, one uh, as of August the 1st, another one uh, recently posted with data as of August the 22nd, and you saw, you know, in the neighborhood of 800,000 more acres of uh, corn and then also a similar amount for soybeans reported or at least processed through the system in that three-week period, and that continues today. Again, we're talking with NAS Crops Branch Chief Lance Honig. And Lance, I want to circle back around to a little bit of our conversation in the first segment of this interview, and that was discussing the difference between NAS and WASD, because following that August WASD, there was a lot of backlash against USDA NAS WASD. I went to UNL Soybean Field Day, and that was kind of the low grumble, is how could USDA and NAS come up with some of these numbers? So Lance, clarify for us, going into that August WASD report, some of the acreage and yields numbers, what was NAS in that report? The yield in August was a NAS number. Um, you know, prior to August, NAS didn't have a, a yield forecast for corn, so WASD was, was you know, coming up with that uh, on their own. But as of the August forecast, that is a NAS uh, number that you saw both in the crop production and in the WASD report. And, you know, there's really a couple of, of factors that lead to, I wouldn't say confusion, but rather the, the concern over what some of those numbers were. And the first is any time, uh, you know, the market is anticipating something and what's published doesn't meet that expectation, there's going to be a market reaction, and therefore uh, that's certainly going to get some folks excited. Uh, but the other factor in this equation, I think, is just, you know, a, an understanding of where that information comes from. And that's one of the areas we've been working on hard this year in responding to some of these concerns is just making sure that folks understand where that information comes from. Uh, the NAS corn yield forecast in August really primarily coming from a survey of farmers. You know, we reached out to about 21,000 producers roughly the, just at the end of July, 1st of August time frame, and asked each of those to tell us what they expect their yields to be for the various crops this year. That's the primary data that we used to establish that forecast, but we did supplement it with some satellite information. So we also uh, utilize that extra data to help kind of validate some of what we were seeing from the producers. It's also very helpful in particular to identify some of the troubled areas uh, or conversely even some of the really good areas and help us understand that data we're getting from the farmers. But really it's about understanding that that is a data-driven forecast and primarily data directly from the producers. Again, we're talking with USDA NAS Crops Branch Chief Lance Honig. We still have one segment left to go. There, Lance kind of gives us his closing thoughts, and he also has a big thank you to farmers that have helped NAS in some of their data collection. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at uh, business markets, see what's going on out there in the overnights. In Japan, it was uh, Nikkei Index up 119 the, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 9. The FTSE in London down 46. And the DAX index was down was up, excuse me, 34. So very mixed in the overnights and much like what we have here in the United States here during the day. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 22. But the NASDAQ is down 30. And the S&P are, is down 
a couple points also. So up and down again, and it was that way while Bob Brogan was gone. It hasn't changed as now he's back. Well, who knows? Who knows? It wasn't so. Oh. It had nothing to do with you whatsoever, Bob. Up springs Eternals. Okay. Things could change, but I'm not guaranteeing they okay. will. All right. Very good. Stocks remain mixed in midday trading on Wall Street. Earlier in the day, stocks moved slightly higher, led by gains in banks and energy companies. Bank of America and Halliburton rose. Energy companies were benefiting from a rise in the price of crude oil. AT&T jumped in heavy trading after Elliott Management, an activist investor announced a $3.2 billion stake in the company and called for a shake-up. Also going on today, British Airways canceled almost all of its flights for 48 hours, affecting as many as 195,000 travelers due to a strike by pilots over pay. The UK's flagship carrier says it had no way of predicting how many pilots would come to work or which aircraft they are qualified to fly. As a result, it says it had no option but to cancel nearly 100% of its flights for the duration of the strike. British Airways operates up to 850 flights a day. Meanwhile, UPS expects to hire about 100,000 seasonal workers and pay them to handle the avalanche of packages shipped between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's about the same number of people that UPS hired for last year's holiday season. Rival FedEx and major retailers are expected to, to lay out their plans in the next few weeks. Meanwhile, Volkswagen is rolling out what it bills as the breakthrough electric car for the masses, the leading edge of a wave of new battery-powered vehicles about to hit the European auto market. The cars are the result of massive investments in battery technology and new factories driven by environmental regulation and concerns about global warming. Those are some of the stories making headlines in the business world today. All right, very good. A uh, electric car for the masses just went to... Hitler always thought it would work. I, I'm sure he was on that. Well, I will believe it when I see it. <laughs> okay. All you right. Know? Okay, very good. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. That's business for today. We complete our conversation with USDA's NAS here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Again, Crops Branch Chief Lance Honig has joined the conversation. And to give you some highlights from the earlier portions of it, first, Lance gave us an overview of just exactly what NAS does and how they do set themselves apart from WASI, which is controlled by the World Outlook Board. So NAS is, for the most part, the data collection arm for USDA, and, and all the estimates that we publish at NAS are typically going to be, uh, for the most part, survey-based. Uh, in general, it's you know a series of surveys that we do with farmers uh, across the U.S. And so, some of the limitations that we have obviously involve uh, you know timing and then also burden uh, that we put on producers. So, uh, for example, if you take a look at yield, uh, obviously NAS does forecast yield, but if we're talking about corn, the first survey-based yield that NAS does is in August. But if you look at a WASDE report. Uh, those yield forecasts actually start earlier in the season. So if WASDE's forecasting corn in July, NAS hasn't issued a forecast yet, then that becomes an independent process done by the World Ag Outlook Board. Lance has also been key to share what NAS is doing in terms of outreach with producers to ensure that everybody is on the same page. And, you know, there's really a couple of of factors that lead to, I wouldn't say confusion, but rather the, the concern over what some of those numbers were. And the first is any time, uh, you know, the market is anticipating 
something and what's published doesn't meet that expectation, there's going to be a market reaction, and therefore uh, that's certainly going to get some folks excited. Uh, but the other factor in this equation, I think, is just you know a, an understanding of where that information comes from. And that's one of the areas we've been working on hard this year in responding to some of these concerns is just making sure that folks understand where that information comes from. Lance, as we round things out, what are your closing thoughts or closing statements for our listeners? Well, a couple of things I'd like to share. Number one, just to go back to uh, the conversation about FSA acres versus NAS acres. You know, one thing that's unique this season is the whole prevent plant cover crop uh, conversation. And, you know, of course, prevent plant acres are not included in NAS numbers because, by definition, they're not planted to the various crops, so therefore they wouldn't be included in our numbers. But if you plant a cover crop on those prevent plant acres, then that is an acre that's actually planted. It would be included in the NAS estimate for that crop. But if you look at the FSA information on those cover crop acres, they're only reported as a cover crop. They are not identified by crop. So you're going to see a little bit more difference there uh, between the NAS number and the FSA number because of those acres. And like I say, that's really fairly unique to this season because some of the changes uh, that were put in place just for this year to allow some of those cover crops to be harvested for if we're talking about corn for silage earlier than you would normally see, some other factors coming into play there. So we see a lot of those cover crop acres uh, that, again, you're never going to see identified by FSA by crop, but they will be broken down in the individual crop numbers at NAF. And then the second comment I would make is, again, just just thanking producers for taking the time to fill out the surveys. As I've talked about through uh, the conversation here, so much of our information is based on what we get from the farmers in these surveys. And obviously, the better, more complete information we can get going into the process, the better the results are going to be coming out in the reports. Again, we have been talking with USDA NAS Crops Branch Chief Lance Honig. If you missed any of our conversation today, catch it all as a podcast at RuralRadio.com. This is the Rural Radio Network. Mixed grain markets today. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. We're with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. This is the week for the WASDE report on Thursday, so do we have positioning ahead of the report? What happened today? Uh, positioning would probably be part. I think we've been positioning for a couple of weeks now. I think the market is prepared to, to bottom, in my opinion, with uh, the amount of data it'll get. I think the relative kind of sharpness that that break will come and i expect a break to come here probably put us you know somewhere closer to we'll call it 335 on the subcontract that that seems to be a good level from going back like five, five years is, is a spot to get out um would be you know weak demand and then more supply and if we get those two things in combination especially on corn um that that'll put a lot of fear into the grain stocks report at the end of the month because we, we're talking about a 2.6 billion bushel carry-in from the last crop year, and that could go to three. I mean, I, I you don't know. I think the one thing this summer exposed is just the weak demand on the rally, and uh, we haven't gotten any of that back. So shipments this morning, again, were better than they have been in the last couple of weeks, but nothing really to write home about. Export sales remain well below the, where they were a year ago, well below five-year five averages. So we're just looking for somebody to buy our product here, and we're essentially chasing price. We should see it. We're I think, almost equal with the South American offers and much below where they're offered in Europe now. So I think, uh, you know, we should see those export sales pick up in a few weeks. We did see some Mexico uh, purchase a big amount today. What about that turnaround in wheat, particularly Chicago wheat? Yeah, and that's 
kind of a wonder. I, I don't I don't know what that's about. Wheat has as much downside, in my opinion, as any other market out there on the CBOB, but Chicago is not broken. Obviously, the the uh, the soft red wheat area had a tough growing season, and I think that the the balance sheet's going to reflect some problems there. But you know, do we really need to be uh, essentially a buck twenty over corn? I mean, that that blows my mind. Chicago wheat trading a buck twenty over corn, uh, while KC wheat is only trading forty cents over corn, and that that is just the you know. You think you'd never see that happen again? I, I don't know what's going to get us out of this, but I, I have to think this is one of those times in the in the world that we're going to see this, and then things should reset. But um, wheat also has the kind of planting intentions trade coming down the pipe here, where I guess it needs to buy acres, but I don't know if that's really necessary at this point. Anybody who plays is going to plant it at four sixty is probably going to plant it at four thirty, given the yields we had last year. And uh, one little comment from you on soybeans. Well, nice to see us come back. You know, I was a little bit nervous this morning on the break below to three to eight fifty, but beans like corn are facing kind of an uphill battle here with a uh, bracing for bearish news on Thursday. Thanks, John. John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. And for more information, as we say, go to their website, DanielsAgMarketing.com. And that will do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DivinityChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divinity deal.